Welcome to Grace on the Go. This podcast is designed so that you can take grace with you anywhere you go. This episode is a sermon from Sunday, September 18th, 2022 called, I Have Called You by Name, Jacob, given by Pastor Chris Simmons. The scripture passage highlighted for today's sermon comes from the book of Genesis, chapter 32, verse 28. Then the man said, Your name will no longer be Jacob, but Israel, because you have struggled with God and with humans and have overcome. As we go into Genesis 32, we've been doing this sermon series that we started last week where it says, I have called you by name, taking that one part of our theme verse for the year from Isaiah. If we can actually repeat that verse for me, Isaiah, and I'm going to say it for you so you get a chance to learn it as we do it. So I'll say, fear not, for I have redeemed you. I have called you by name. You are mine. And we're going through Scripture at that one, I have called you by name. God's action is He's calling people by name. Last week we heard about Abraham, starting there with Pastor Dinger. He's out in Germany, by the way, so pray for safe travels as he comes back. That's why he's not here today. He would love to be here if he was in the United States to to see you, but he's actually out of the country. But as we go through this, we have Abraham, then Isaac, and then Jacob, right? These kind of fathers of faith, these beginning of the, the Hebrew people. And I want to tell you this whole story I timed it just for you. I timed it if I'm like, if I tell the whole story of Jacob and then start the sermon, it's over 30 minutes. So buckle up. No. What I did, so what we're going to do is tell chunks of the story of Jacob as I kind of go over these three major points. Because it all leads to this culminating part where God is wrestling with Jacob. And guys like wrestling. We're like, I can relate to that. I wrestle with God all the time. But it's more than just a physical altercation. God comes to Jacob and wrestles with him to change him, to teach him something, and to bless him. And we see how God actually takes those three points because, I mean, if you you haven't noticed yet, you will soon. God wrestles with us all the time, humbles himself, comes to us, and we wrestle with him. Those same three things also apply to us. So as we go into our first point over here, God wrestles with us to change us. And you can level with me here. Change is a struggle. Changing is a struggle. First off, being like if you get a new job, like this was my new job a year ago, it was a struggle to adjust my practices. You know, what I did at my my former job moving to here, you kind of have to learn the lay of the land for a year to kind of get a sense of what all is going on. If you've ever changed jobs, you felt that. You've changed, it's like, man, this is a struggle, a new workplace, a new environment, new people. Sometimes it's for the better, which is good, but man, it takes a little bit of effort. If you have never changed the diaper, on a two-year-old, you, you don't understand the struggle. And there's a big struggle. It's like a Brazilian jiu-jitsu match, but there's poop involved. Oh, don't say that, but like there's, there's a diaper change. Man, I got to put a limiter on today. There's, um, but there's a struggle there, and, the, and there's like, man, you know, legs are everywhere. I'm like, I just need to get this diaper on you. Come on. And it's such a struggle. More than that, you know, you go further into like weight loss and exercise. If you've ever tried to do a new program or diet, man, it's a struggle, isn't it? To change your habits, your eating habits, your, your wake-up routine, include exercise. Change is a struggle. And as we go into this, the first thing we're going to focus on is God wrestles to change us, and God will change us. I don't have the TV on up there, so I'm going to look back here. God will change you or change your circumstances. We're going to talk about that in in prayer, and that's what we'll focus on, Jacob's prayer. In prayer, God will change you or change your circumstances. We'll unpack that. To help you start, 
will go from the beginning, right? So Jacob and Esau, these are the two brothers. They're born from, they're the children of Isaac and his wife, and they're the ones that are going to be the inheritors of the promise. In fact, it's going to be Esau that's going to inherit the promise. Even though they're twins, he's born first. And Jacob's named Jacob, like, which means heel grabber. It also means deceiver. Because the idea is as, as Esau came out of the womb, Jacob was right there saying, no, 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 I want to be first. No, 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 you're taking what I want. And they kind of, they, they struggle, they fight in the womb, and they fight as they get older. You know, Jacob deceives his brother Esau into selling him his birthright for a bowl of soup. If I'm just being a sibling, I think I would give my sister a bowl of soup without selling it to them. Um, I guess on a good day, you know, there are those times where it's like, I'll do this anyway. So I can see why that happened, but even further. So Isaac is about to pass on the promises of Abraham to his next ascendant. If you recall these from last week, a quick review is, I will make you a father of many nations. I will be with you. That's the best promise. I, am, I will be your God. I will be with you. Make you a father of many nations. Give you a promised land. And it's like, okay, Lord, we got these promises, and now they went to Isaac, and now he's going to bless one of his children, which should be Esau, so now the line of descendants will continue through him. So they set up this thing. Esau goes off, because he's a manly man, by the way. He's so hairy. When they disguise Jacob as Esau, they have to glue fur to his hand. Now that's a man, right? Must be a lot, a lot of meat. I don't know what makes you hairy, but like, he, he's just this depiction of a manly man that goes out hunting, and he goes off. Jacob and his mom say, hey... Let's get you the blessing instead. Disguise him. Bring him food. Isaac gives Jacob that blessing. Esau comes back. Do you think he's mad? He is furious, right? When your siblings take things that belong to you, you usually get pretty mad. Now imagine it's the blessing of God. That's a, like an astronomical, exponential time of being mad. So Isaac's about to die. And Esau is so mad that, that Isaac was deceived. He says, after the time of my father's mourning... I'm killing Jacob. I'm going to kill him. And this isn't like the sibling, I'm going to kill you. It's the, I hunt and kill things every day. I will hunt you and kill you. Jacob and his mom say, hey, you know, I coddle you. You're going to lose this fight. So I'm going to send you off over to Laban, over in this other country, far away. So he takes this journey. He goes to this place where um, Laban's going to be his father-in-law. He works as an indentured servant, kind of, for 14 years. Seven years to get a wife, he's deceived by Laban, and he has to end up marrying two wives. We'll talk about that. But after all this time here where he grows, he develops, he, he becomes rich. He says, I now have two camps, meaning I have twice as much as anybody else. He has twice as much livestock as anybody else. He's rich in livestock, servants, wives, family. God says, okay, I'm calling you back to the promised land, what I had promised you. And he says, okay. He starts his way back. He gets stopped by angels at a camp. And they camp out there. So he's like, all right, well, I'm going back there. My brother Esau's there. I'm going to send a servant ahead so that uh, they can tell Esau that I'm coming. Servant goes. Servant comes back and says, hey, told your brother Esau that you were coming. He's so excited. He's sending 400 men with him to come and say hi. <laughs> okay, well, that doesn't sound like a very friendly hello. So Jacob is panicking. And before he does these things, like he sends gifts to Esau, he, he, he sends his repentance, he sends his family ahead and all his servants. Before all that, he has a prayer. And he prays to God and he says this, O God of my father Abraham, God of my father Isaac, Lord, this is a neat reminder, you who said to me, go back to your country and your relatives, I will make you prosper. Just a reminder, God, you said this. 
I am unworthy of all the kindness and faithfulness you have shown your servant. I had only my staff when I crossed this Jordan, but now I have become two camps. He started with nothing, comes back with a lot. Here's the part to focus on. Save me, I pray, from the hand of my brother Esau, for I am afraid he will come and attack me and also the mothers with their children. Here's another reminder, God, but you have said, I will surely make you prosper and make your descendants like the sand of the sea, which cannot be counted. So he's already, you see this, before the physical wrestling match starts, he is wrestling with God in prayer. God, you told me to come. You told me to show up. You told me to head back. And you also said I would be, my descendants would be as numerous as the sands of the sea. It's hard to do that if I'm dead. Just letting you know. So you need to kind of keep me alive. You said you would do good to me, and here I am. So he's already struggling with his faith in what God has told him and the circumstance that he's in. So he comes before him in prayer. And again, oftentimes in prayer, God will change either you or change your circumstance. And what's funny about that, we don't pray for God to change us. We pray for a change of circumstance. God, you need to change the situation around me because it's not my fault. It's everything else. So I'm praying for you to change everything else because I'm not the problem. Everybody else is. It's funny, there's a little boy overheard praying in church. He says, Lord, if you can't make me a better boy, don't worry about it. I'm having a real good time as I am. We want to embrace the sin and say, God, let me do what I want. Let me be my own sinful self and change everything around me to accommodate me. So an idea between change of circumstance and changing us. So when I I worked at Starbucks for seven years, I came out of high school, started working at Starbucks right away. And within the first year, first six months, shift supervisor positions open. And I'm like, I want to be a shift supervisor, you make more money. So I'm like, okay, apply for it, and I get it. A lot of people apply for it, but then I kind of go, and I'm getting training as like a shift leader and all this. There's a guy who worked there. Let's call him Dave. And Dave was a guy in his, like, you know, mid-50s who did not get that job but applied for it. So now all of the shifts that I work, this guy Dave now works with me, and I'm his shift supervisor. I'm his leader. You can imagine this didn't work very well because he wanted what I had. So when we first started at Starbucks back in the day, we wore aprons and they had pockets. Dave would, so just imagine this, he would take pastries from the pastry case. He'd put one in one pocket and then he'd take a small cup of coffee or a latte or like a dopio, like two shots for some, put it in the other pocket. Imagine you are at the counter and you're ordering your drink at the register and the guy's taking your order. He reaches into his pocket takes out some food, and starts eating in front of you and putting it back. Not wonderful, right? A lot of you are going, "Mm, yeah, and that's exactly it. And I'm sitting there, I'm like, Dave, what are you doing? How could you you think that's okay? You're eating in front of people, then taking those same hands and grabbing their food and serving them. Or you're making drinks, and you're drinking as you're making drinks and frothing milk. What are you doing? You can't do that. And he looks at me like, well, what are you going to do about it? Hmm. So I'm mad. And, you know, th- this is just not working out, this relationship between me and Dave, right? And so finally one day I get to my store manager and I'm like, you know, we got to fire Dave. We got to fire him. He's eating in front of customers. We actually, just a quick side note, we ended up getting, have you ever been at work 
where one person is breaking a rule all the time, so now there's a rule applied to everybody because of that one person. Yep. We ended up not having aprons with any pockets in them. <laughs> Imagine that. It's like everyone knows why, and you're removing the pockets from your apron because we're not allowed to have pockets anymore. So then he would hide food like under stuff. It was wild. Anyway, so I'm like, we got to fire him. He's such a problem. What a nuisance. Doesn't listen to me. Eats in front of customers. Drinks, drinks. We got to fire him. And my store manager looks at me and says, well, what are you going to do about it? I'm like, we fire him. She's like, no, no, no. How are you going to lead him differently? Oh, got me there. I was so focused on the circumstance. I had to get him out of there. I didn't consider at all that I could be the problem or contributor to the problem. I didn't, think of, I didn't think about how I needed the change. I thought about how he needed the change. And by change, I mean change jobs and get out of there. <laughs> I focused too much on the circumstance and not enough on how I could change. And you know what? It has a happy ending. I was like, okay, I got, I got to change. I'm, how am I going to lead him differently? I started off by like, I'm going to try and say one nice thing to him every shift. And honestly, there were things like, hey, your apron's clean today. <laughs> I had to start somewhere. <laughs> I had to start with something. And it, it was surprising how just that little bit of me changing and not being so against him, all of a sudden he became one of, the, one of my favorite people to work with by the end of my time there. It took a couple years, right? By the end of my time there, I enjoyed the conversation, enjoyed being with him. And you know what? He still has got pastries in his pocket, hiding them under espresso machines. And I just have to look at him like, and he goes, all right. And would take it and put it in the back. He'd still try and get away with it, but then he would listen. I'm like, what changed? It wasn't him. <laughs> but there was something within me that changed. There was something within me that was different. It helped me to see things in a different light, different perspective, and to treat him differently. Because it's not everybody else that's always the problem. Sometimes it's right here. Listen to this from Ephesians chapter 2. Paul writes, As for you... You were dead in your transgressions and sins, in which you used to live when you followed the ways of the world and the ruler of the kingdom of air, the spirit who is now at work in those who are disobedient. So when you used to follow Satan, when you gave into that sin, and when you said, it's my desires I want to give into, everybody else needs to change. You were dead in your transgressions. You were dead in the way that you trespassed against God. He continues here. But because of his great love for us, God, who is rich in mercy, made us alive with Christ. Even when we were dead in transgressions, it is by grace you have been saved. Oftentimes, I, I would pray for a change of circumstance, and we often do. We kind of look at the vending machine thing, God, give me this and things will be different. Rather than praying for a change in us. And I realized when I, when I read this in Ephesians, you know... Even when I pray for a change of circumstance, if I'm dead in my transgressions and my trespasses against God because of my sin, changing my circumstance isn't going to change that. The way that I want to embrace sin and what I want to do, if my circumstances change, I'm still dead. It takes Christ to come to me, to die on my behalf, to save me from my own sin. It takes Christ to change me. God's interaction on, on my behalf, his very own life, death, and resurrection, to change who I am. God's in the people-changing business. Although I wish for the circumstantial change, it's God who changes 
me. And getting back to that story of Jacob and Esau, there's a happy ending there. I'm skipping chunks in the middle. So Jacob sends all these gifts, and he waits overnight, has a wrestling match with God. Day comes, Esau shows up, and they embrace. Jacob's humble. He says, I'll be your servant. Esau's like, get up. They hug. They embrace. Over the course of 20 years, God changed Jacob, and God changed Esau. Over the course of 20 years, God shaped Jacob, gave him a repentant heart, showed him um, you know, ways of mercy with others. He, he gave him and changed him in 20 years. And over here, he also changed Esau, showing the love and the desire for family, their appreciation for it. Over the, now 20 years is a long time. It goes faster now. But 20 years, over the course of that time, God changed each one of them. And that leads us in the next part. As God changes us, he also wrestles to teach us. And that's point two. As God goes to teach us, it's the power of persistence. Because only one thing remains. In our persistence, we see God's persistence for us. So before he embraces Esau and they have a great brotherly reunion, he has this prayer. But before this prayer, he sends all the gifts. Then he sends off his servants. And then he has his family cross the Jordan. And he's left with nothing. All his possessions, everything is gone. He is left alone. All he has left is that prayer. God, you said this, and that's what I'm going to hold on to because you told me to come here. You told me you would, do, you would do good by me. You told me my descendants would be as numerous as the sand in the sea. There's nothing else here. This is what I've got. And then there is a man who comes and wrestles with him until the break of day. Left with nothing, wrestling with God, all he's holding on to are these promises. It's fascinating about this wrestling match. When you read it in the course of like a literature standpoint, it's got ups and downs, and it seems like Jacob has this great victory over God. Somehow he out-wrestles God, and he's going to get something. It's a victory. Here's the thing. I got, I, you know, I have my kids, and I wrestle with my son. You know, he's three, and, and when you do that, you go, ah, you know, he pushes you, he kicks you, you pretend like he rolls over, you pretend like he's beating you up. Anytime I wanted to, I could stand up, I could pick him up and power bomb him through the floor all the way to the basement. If I, I don't do that, but if I wanted to, I could, right? That's not, that's not being a good dad. <laughs> I, so 8.30 I said that, and I, I got like, oh, like gas. I'm like, I wouldn't do it, but I could. I'm just saying, when we wrestle, he doesn't really have an understanding or comprehension of the magnitude or power in which he's wrestling with. Does that make sense? Not that I'm like, I'm not God, but I'm just saying I'm a lot stronger than a three-year-old. He doesn't quite comprehend because with him, I struggle kind of at his level. I let him test his strength. I let him push on me. I let him struggle with me. I let him, you know, try and flip me over and I'll roll with him and things like that. Why do I wrestle with him? It's not to win. It's because I love him. I let him wrestle. I let him test his strength. And in kind of when you build and establish that relationship with children, they allow you to teach them things. I get this chance to wrestle with my son because I love him. Why does God stoop so low into the form of a man, limit his power so that Jacob can wrestle with him? It's because he loves him. He loves him. And in loving him and in that relationship, wants to teach him something. And it's the same thing that when we wrestle with God, he wants to teach us about our faith. More than that, he wants to teach us how to use our faith faith. He wants to teach us 
how to use our faith. And I'm on point two right now. As we wrestle with God, he's saying, hey, your faith is a gift given to you by God, a gift from the Holy Spirit given to you. Yet, we don't just frame it and hang it on a wall. We use that faith because it was given to us. It's not put in a box and put away. Imagine this. There are two medical doctors. They go to school and they graduate the same medical degree. And one of them takes it and hangs it on the wall and then does blog posts. That's the, what they're going to do with their life. I'm just going to post and write on blogs. There's another doctor over here who has the same medical degree. They're co-valedictorians. You know, they're, they're very successful in what they do. And then he goes off into practice, right? He's out there doing surgery, he or she, right? They're out there doing surgeries. They're out there um, working in, in the field, treating disease, you know, taking and well, giving, I say giving birth, what do I want to say? Receiving birth, that's not it either. Um, being part of that procedure. Why am I drawing? Childbirth is what it's called, right? <laughs> they're, they're there and they're birthing children. They're, they're with all this. They're practicing in their field. This one's writing blogs. Which one do you want to do your open heart surgery? The one that's over here. The one that's in the field working and growing because, you know, if you've been to school or an apprenticeship or in a job for a long time, there are things you learn with experience. You can't get everything out of a textbook. There are things that you learn when you're working in your field and you grow and develop in that field compared to one who does not. You take the same equation and you apply it to our faith. Now, this is not, there's, to clarify this quickly, two big church words that took me forever, I'm telling you as a young Christian, to remember what they do. Justifications over here. Justification means what Jesus did for us to save us, how we're saved by God. Faith the size of a mustard seed, a little bit, right? We read in Scripture, is what saves us. Faith holds on to the promises of God, given to us by God. We got that. What Jesus did for you is over here. Sanctification, another big word, is how we become more like Jesus. What Jesus did for us, what we do to become like Jesus. This is like, now that you've been saved, how do you grow in that faith? How do you respond to that salvation? And it's kind of more of a sanctification question right over here. Because he's wrestling with Jacob. And as they wrestle, finally it gets to the point where God says, I must leave. It's the break of day. And Jacob grabs hold of him and says, I will not let go until you bless me. If I were to take a picture, a snapshot of that moment, I would see God's back to Jacob Jacob grabbing hold of a garment or whatever God has on and gripping, I will not let go until you bless me. And God's smiling. Just smiling. Oh, now you get it. Have you ever tried to, whether a classroom teacher or you have your own children or you're in the workplace or you're an uncle, anything like that, when you're teaching someone something and they finally get it? Don't you just go, there's that moment of, oh, yeah, you just smile. They finally get it. God came to wrestle Jacob to teach him something, that I'm what you have to hold on to. When all else is gone, hold fast to the promises of God. I will not let go of you until you bless me. I will not let go of those promises that you said. I will not let go of them. In the face of all trial, in the face of all danger, I will hold on to them. And God goes, you get it. I love that song. It's a contemporary song. You know, one thing remains. You hear that kind of repeated one thing. Your love never fails, that one. 
one thing remains. When all of his camps are gone, when all of his blessings, you know, that the, the promises of land, the promises of wives and descendants, one thing remains. And God says, hold fast to it. And hold on to it. And the, what goes with this phrase is the power of persistence, right? The power, I will not let go until you bless me. In those moments, when we're persistent with God, you start to get a picture of God's persistence for us. He was so persistent for us that he came down in human form and wrestled on our behalf, not just with Jacob, but in Christ, on the cross, through his life, you know, the, the ridicule, the Garden of Gethsemane, you know, you know sweating and, and crying blood uh, to the point of torture from the Romans, to the point of being crucified, to the point of death. Oh, Lord, let me hold fast to that promise that not just that you died for me to redeem me, but you also were raised again and raised me in eternal life with you. Let me hold fast to that promise because when all other things are gone, there's that one thing that remains. And it brings us to this last point over here. God wrestles to bless us. God gives Israel a new name and he gives us a new name. And, well, gives Jacob a new name. And that new name is Israel, right? And that name means one who has struggled with God and with men and has prevailed. Ooh. So, again, we dispelled this. Did Jacob prevail against God? God could have body slammed him through the floor to the basement. That wasn't what he did. Prevail, to take that word, if you unpack it a little bit, means to have power over something. To prevail, I have power over something. So here, what does he give Jacob power over? doesn't give him power over God. He gives him power over those promises. Right? You've struggled, and now I've, I've encouraged you. I've been in this point where we have wrestled together, and now you're holding fast to the promises of God. You have been given power and a sense of appreciation what God has done for you. It's not a victory over God. It's, again, about that ownership. To give you an example, I don't know, who here got allowance from their parents or still gets allowance from their parents? Right? Side note, I'm, I don't know when that day will be, but, like, my parents still send me birthday money. It's not very much, but, like, last year, no, no, it was during 2020 when it was COVID and, like, mail was messed up. My birthday came, and I'm like, this is it. This is it. I, I think I was 34. 34, and I'm like, my parents aren't sending me birthday anymore. I'm 34. I'm, I'm growing up. That's it. It was a week late. And I'm like, ah. <laughs> Again, it's not very much, but there's a sense of joy in un, you know, unbridled spending. That's sinful. Here I am. I confess before you. Forgive me. But I bring this up because there was, when you were a child, like, we got $20 a week. And then there came to a point where we had to work for that $20 a week. It wasn't very much. I had to pick up after the dogs in the yard, and then I had to, like, clean the upstairs a bit. And then, boom, if you do your job, you get $20. Great. You kind of, when, when $20 just shows up, you spend it kind of however you want. You're just, you're not kind you know, you're a little bit willy-nilly with it. I'll spend on whatever I want. Sure, I'll do this. Sure, I'll do this. Oh, I'm out of money. I'll get some more next week. Not a problem. When I got my first job, here it is. I'm date, I'll date myself here. You know, when I got my first job, minimum wage was six twenty-five an hour. And that's what I made, scooping ice cream and burning my hand on waffle irons at Cold Stone. So I'm scooping ice cream, burning my hand, make six twenty-five an hour. All of a sudden, $20 meant and was a lot different. When I had to work for three hours to make $20, all of a sudden going out for, you know, dinner with my buddies and it's like, hold on, <laughs> this burger and fries and a beer, how much is it? About 20 bucks? i got to work for three hours to get that. 
all of a sudden my perspective changed. I appreciated $20 a lot more when I had to work three hours to get it rather than it was just kind of handed over to me. And I say all this because God wrestles with us and with Jacob. Do you think, to, to clarify this promise over here, he wrestles with Jacob, not just physically. Before that, Jacob is deceived by Laban and has to work 14 years as an indentured servant so he can get to the wife that he wants. He kind of got his own just desserts there. Deceived, his name's Deceiver. He deceived his brother. And now he had to work 14 years here, 20 years total under somebody to kind of gain his wealth. God calls him back. And now here he is, afraid of his brother Esau because of what he did before. Do you think, and then they embrace, and he's re-entering Canaan, right? This new promised land. Do you think that Jacob came back with a different appreciation for what God gave him than he did when he left? Absolutely. A way different appreciation. And we kind of talked about that, that God changed him and taught him things as he comes back. A way different appreciation for what God had done for him. You know, in hard times for us, we often find ourselves in a wrestling match, not just with God, but just struggling with things that are difficult. Times of mourning, times where... um, Dare I say, like physically, I feel like my body's betraying me. Why am I sick? Why can't I get better? Why aren't I recovering faster? Mentally, as like the tides of culture kind of shift against my brain, telling me, hey, you know, what you believe about God's irrelevant and outdated because culture is different now. Or emotionally, if I struggle with like anger or fear with someone or of something, it all kind of comes back spiritually. My faith starts to waver. God, I, you know... I, I want to see you. That's where that song really spoke to me. I want to see you in this because my faith is, is shaking all over the place. And God says, hold fast to that faith. Hold on to it because I have blessed you in all of these things, in all these areas of life. As we struggle, people will often come to us and they say this, hey, I know you're struggling right now, but don't worry. God's got a plan for this. Does that feel pretty insensitive when you hear it? I've been a recipient of that, and I've felt like it was insensitive. And it's not because it's untrue. You can deliver that news a little bit differently or be more empathetic. But in those times where I've struggled physically, mentally, emotionally, spiritually, and it's over here, and I drive down the road for about 40 miles, and I look back, or 20 years, I go, ah, God, I see what you did there. I see in that struggle where, what you did over there and how it brought me to where I am today. Or how it brought this person before me today that had the same struggle that I had back then. God, uh, I see what you did over there. You know, we read God works all things for the good of those who love him. Called, you know, according to his blessings, right? Called according to his purpose. It's like, okay, I see what you did there. Even if it took me 20 years to look back and see how things have changed. Just like he did with Jacob. And lastly... As we go through this, you see that struggle happened. Jacob limps away. And it's not saying those struggles back there in that wrestling match with God, that you don't feel pain from it today. We feel residual pain from these struggles and the things that have happened. Yet when we have that residual pain and we remember those things that have happened, we see God's perseverance through that for us, but also His perseverance for us in the cross. Right? When God came down as man to wrestle on our behalf, as He wrestled from that cross for our very own sake. It's just, oh, Lord, not only are you with me, you've struggled and wrestled on my behalf. You've given your very own life for me. You have indeed, from that cross and your resurrection, 
blessed me. And just as Jacob was renamed Israel, and Israel became the name of the people, the people of God, we have Jesus from the cross, who indeed gives us a new name and calls us children of God. And as Jacob's blessing was passed to the people of Israel, the blessing of Jesus, saying, you are now children of God, redeemed and sanctified and justified by me, we inherit those blessings as well. So our names are changed as well, to be children of God who inherit his promise. So again, hear this verse as we kind of close. From Isaiah, fear not, for I have redeemed you. I have called you by name, and you are mine. To him be that glory, now and forever. Amen. If you have any questions or comments, email them to podcast at gracepocatello.org. And make sure to subscribe to our channel to stay up to date on sermons and classes at Grace Lutheran Church in Pocatello, Idaho. This podcast is designed so that you can take grace with you anywhere you go.